Preparing for the afterlife, the reunion, a family affair. If we had had time, I was going to ask you to play Sly in the Family Stone, a family affair, next time. For it is a family affair, all of us. It's a reunion, this afterlife that we talk about. And it is a reunion that only faith can assure us will take place. And the faith that assures us is greater, greater than anything that might attempt to thwart that. Now, I am not sure how many of you on a daily basis talk about leaving this world, talk about this phase of being in preparation for the next. As a pastor, as a chaplain at a trauma one center, a hospital, as a family member, death, this life, the next life, the desire to make sense of it all, to trust in the images we pretty much know are at best pointers to what we can expect, and yes, the desires for miracles in the midst of it all frequently takes up a good portion of my day in working with others. And miracles, I mentioned miracles because I do believe in miracles. And every time I find myself talking about life, this life and the next, every time I'm with a family at Westchester Medical Center where I do my chaplaincy intern, and someone has died, whether a child or another family member, I think silently, they sometimes more vocally, we all ask the same question. Come on, Jesus. You raised Lazarus, and we hope. Well, these are just some of the things that I talk about and think about. It's part of the job of being a pastor, but I think it's also something we probably all think about in our own moments, and I wish we would talk about more. Because I don't see the discussion about any of this as downers. They are important topics. Death, transition, passing, whatever words we use to describe them, they are all part of life, not the end of life. Life existed long before we were here, and it will exist long after. I like to quote a poet, an author that I enjoy reading, Eckhart Tolle, who says that there is no opposite to life. There is birth and there is death, but there is no opposite to life. It continues. And it's not that life necessarily that we have difficulty with, knowing that it existed before and will exist, exist afterwards, but it is this pre and post human experience we have trouble with. What was it before? What will it be afterwards? Along with those big questions, where did we come from? Where are we going to? And it's not even the sense of where are we going to in terms of not believing it will happen because most of us do believe it will happen, that there will be a place that we will go to. Perhaps the real question involved in this or part of it is when we get there, will it be better 
than it is here most of the time. And it appears we're not the only ones who've thought of such questions. We follow the lectionary here, so that means that we read through the scriptures according to a calendar that is prescribed. Oh, the readings are broken up over a period of three years, so we cover the entire, entire readings in the course of three years, and this is what was on the text this morning. So when we listen to Paul's words in the opening to the Thessalonians, we're reminded that we're not the only ones to think of this. Here's his opening question, or his opening statement. He says, and regarding the question, friends, that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried, I mean, they were thinking about this stuff long ago. Or maybe put it another way, what happens to us when we die, Paul? When will this suffering end? What many and Paul believed was that Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, the tension between the pull of this earth, capturing all life when it was finished here, and then taking it down into the underworld where people believe that it went, the tension between that being overcome and conquered by Jesus' resurrection is where the hope and the promise comes from. The scriptures tell us that after three days, Jesus rose from the dead, which was another word for Hades, the underworld at the time. And whatever cosmic struggle might have taken place in those three days, we believe that Jesus won. He overcame death, sin, the separation between this world and God, between humankind and the Creator. And that in so doing, He kept His promise, His word, and He would keep further His word that when He got to where He was going, to the Father and Mother who created Him, that He would prepare a place for us, along with the promise that He was always with us. We might consider this the great transcendence between this world and the next, now completed in the intersection of the cross that we see when we look at it. It is a promise that the ancients believed then and that we, many of us, believe now. For us, for you, it is the foundation of our faith, perhaps, celebrated in everything we do, known to us deeply in every fiber of our being, while sometimes questioned and even doubted in our minds. The struggle between earth, between being bound to Hades and the heavenly mansions that Jesus promised us, the early Christians struggled with this and the expectations too. And their greatest struggle was their anticipation that it was going to happen soon. And it didn't. In many ways, 2,000 years later, we're still wondering when. And there are plenty of examples in our society and around the world of those who think they know when it's going to happen and get us all wound up, only to be reminded what we were told once before by Jesus. We know not the time nor the place. But science has removed some of the old magic, so to speak, or the narratives created to explain what folks then could not understand. For example, we know that there is no physical underworld 
to our planet? Well, we're pretty sure. I sort of have an idea that maybe there are such things as hobbits and maybe there is a Middle Earth, but uh, another time we'll talk about that. <laughs> but we still don't have the after-death part figured out much beyond what our faith and experiences tell us. With the struggle and the doubt now transformed from observing the physical as the ancients did, creating narratives to explain it, to the observations explained in part more fully by revelations of science and the non-sciences. So we unpack, we keep unpacking the sciences in which there has yet to be any answer for spirituality. To this day, the science and the spiritual stand separate and apart, even though there often are conversations between the two. These conversations, this tension, is the place where science fiction originates for many. It's where sci-fi finds its roots between what we know and what we can imagine, between what we believe and what we question. But for us, I think faith is not something we imagine so much. It is something we know at some level. Something we believe, something we feel, something we experience, and something we trust in. It is faith, belief in things unseen, but known. Belief in things beyond our ability to understand, but not beyond our ability to know. Weren't our hearts burning when he spoke with us? Said the travelers on the Emmaus path when Jesus walked with them unrecognized. Don't our hearts burn as well in our prayers and our petitions, petitions and our being with one another? Even if we cannot always recognize why, isn't there something going on in that spirit that just if you're like me, sometimes brings you to laughter, to tears, to awe. But by nature, God-given nature, we still try to understand. And sometimes the science leads us closer to the grandness of God, a God that really exists beyond all of the arts and sciences but a little closer it can lead us. I've been reading a book by Keith Ward called The Big Questions in Science and Religion. It's for a study group of which I'm a part, and it is a fascinating book that enters into the tension between science and religion, and sometimes surprisingly finds itself pointing toward some God center as the newest of scientists and sciences unfold. In one passage of this book, the author talks about a very, very distant future in which just as our data now on the magnetic drives of our computers is stored, and that same magnetism out of which the Earth is surrounded, the universe is immersed in, 
The hypothesis around this magnetic storage and magnetic fields, as far out as it is, is that our lives, our data, is all stored somehow in these fields, these magnetic fields of the universe, when we leave this form, transferred from one drive to another, so to speak. And here are their words, as they explain it in the outcome that comes close to a cosmological resurrection. There are those who think that conscious intelligent life could expand to fill the whole cosmos and could, in a subjective sense, become immortal. Admittedly, there, are no, there is no guarantee of this, but it depends on fascinating physics, much of which, most, most of which is well understood. As an author and scientist, Freeman Dyson claimed in a 1978 paper in the prestigious journal Reviews of Modern Physics, he says, as the universe expands and cools, lower energy quanta, that is, these packets of radiation that hold energy, lower energy quanta of energy would be needed to store and transmit information. So, he says, a virtually infinite amount of information could be processed in an objectively finite time toward the end of the life of the universe. Perhaps, and we are thinking billions of years into the future, perhaps thoughts and memories could be downloaded into magnetic fields that it could exist in the darkness of interstellar space. In Frank Tiller's book, Tipler's book, The Physics of Immortality, he supposes that the virtually infinite intelligences that might exist in the far future universe would be able to recover all of the information from the past and would choose to reconstitute all living beings who had ever existed. Thus, in the creation by advanced intergalactic intelligences of replicas of past humans, we have a scientific form of the hypothesis of the resurrection of the dead. Maybe they should just go to church. <laughs> it seems conceivable that intelligent life could thus cover the cosmos. It might even find a way to download itself through black holes or space-time warps into newly created universes. In a strange way, modern physics is able to translate some religious hopes of a new creation into a possible scientific scenario. Of course, this is all fantastic, but it seems to be physically possible. And is the vision, this vision of a universe that culminates in a universal and final flourishing of intelligent life, really any less plausible than the impersonal and value-free vision propounded by others of a universe that simply decays into unconscious chaos? The struggle that we too often have is with our concept of time. Time seems to be something to us which we have a limited opportunity in which to achieve some specified or unspecified outcomes before the opportunity is gone. So we accelerate to try and capture as much as we can in time before the time is up. Those marathon runners are running against the clock. What will their time be? And if we're not trying to catch up, we're waiting for something to happen. We're watching the clock 
the ticking of the hand in anticipation. The early followers of Jesus, based on their culture, their knowledge, their traditions, and the plethora of myths and influences of other religions in their times, all these things had them believing that Jesus was going to return soon in their lifetime. And when that didn't happen as they expected, doubt, questioning, all sorts of things forced them to learn what it is we are still being forced to learn. That is that the unfolding of God's plans, the universe, the life after, the life before, the questions we have, the unfolding of God's plans will be in God's time, which has nothing to do with when this service starts, whether or not the clock turns back, whether or not we can escape the passage of time by accelerating beyond the speed of light, nothing. God's time is like nothing we understand. And still, even in the knowledge of science, the traditions of world religions and history, the apparently expanding ability of our intellects and consciousness to grasp ever, granted bits, ever grander bits of information does nothing to help. And the little that it does help, perhaps, does nothing to take away the knowing that we have and that we need from our faith. Ours is, yours is, we pray is, a resilient faith that even when seemingly battered and disrupted, it continues to be present believing in God and heaven and afterlife, whether or not it takes the forms of the science of 2,000 years ago or the science of billions of years from now, we are a faith that transcends all we can know. And the best part, the calming and assuring part, the eternal part, is that no matter what we discover or learn, what we have always known is true, that we are of God, we are with God, and whether here or elsewhere, we'll always be embraced in God's great love and promise. And it is our faith that tells us that is so. Amen.